Hello, everyone, and welcome to the United City Greensboro podcast, a church in the heart of Greensboro with a desire to practice the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. You can learn more about our community at unitedcitygso.com. Enjoy today's teaching. So we read through Lamentations 2, 1 through 5, and I'm going to read a couple of those verses again. I'm going to share a lot from my notes today. As you guys see, I'm extremely low-tech. I have a spiral-bound notebook written in pen and highlighter. So I have some notes that I'm going to share. And I want to be upfront and honest and just say that I'm still kind of like, this is not a subject that I would choose to preach on. This is not a passage that I would choose to preach on, which is really good for me because it's making me wrestle with stuff that maybe I don't have worked out in my faith yet. So I'm kind of, I haven't come to a lot of conclusions yet. And so I don't have a lot of conclusions to share with you today, but just to know that I am in this season with you, kind of wrestling with this stuff together because this can be some really heavy subject matter. I thought Jay did a great job last week of kicking this series off and really giving us the historical context for the book of Lamentations, which I found out this week, by the way, Lamentations, so without getting all into it, there's a uh, Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible called the Septuagint, and the Greek title for this book is Lamentations, but it was, of course, originally written in Hebrew, right? So it belonged to the Hebrews first. And their title for this book was How? Exclamation mark. And if you'll notice, these are like a series of poems, and I think three out of the five actually start off with the word how. Because of just like the devastation of what they're going through that we probably just don't even have a frame of reference for that after God had sent them prophets and God had given them warning after warning after warning And they didn't listen and they didn't turn back to him. And so finally, this army from Babylon invades and the city is decimated. Supplies are cut off as Jay talked last week, which I didn't even know that. That's incredibly terrible. The people were out of food before they were even attacked. The temple was destroyed, which understand in their mindset at that time, God lived in the temple. God lived in Jerusalem. They associated the city and especially the building of the temple, the temple complex, with God's presence. So where is God? The temple is destroyed, and in many of the people, the elite among them anyway, are led out of Jerusalem and into exile in Babylon. So they are completely shaken is not even the word. They are completely devastated and disoriented during this time. And these series of poems represent them crying out the prophet is crying out their grief and also sort of asking God why and how this could have happened according to the writer of lamentations this devastation is not just the result of bad fortune which we might think in our modern minds well things happen bad things happen but this is not just a result of bad fortune to him or, or just a matter of strategic failure, even though there was some of that where like you're making unholy, um, what's the word? You're making unholy alignments with different nations. It wasn't just a matter of strategic failure. It was a result of God's judgment. And he's very clear about that. That this devastation has come upon them because and only because after his repeated warnings and after much patience, 
And after much forbearance, God has actually removed his hand of protection. The fury of his fire has been unleashed. That's the way he sees it. Now, we take that as kind of offensive because we, th we see things happen and we see natural disasters and we see misfortune come upon people and we don't want to blame them for it. We don't want to blame ourselves when bad things happen to us. But understand, when some of these things happen, it's not necessarily that God caused it to happen, but God is all-powerful. So if God is all-powerful, then the only two options are God either caused it to happen or God let it happen. Because the only other option is God didn't want it to happen and he couldn't stop it. And if that's the case, he's not really God. So God, for some reason, removed his hand of protection and allowed this purging to come upon the people. I want to reread uh, verses 3 and 4 of Lamentations. <laughs> Lamentations 2, y'all, is a, is a trip to me because... Like normally if you preach from Lamentations, you would you might like reference chapter two with some of the other chapters, but who who got chapter three? Did Corey get chapter three? I want to trade. <laughs> because chapter three has like the only hope that there is to be found in all of Lamentations. It's too late to trade now. So that's why we only read five verses instead of the whole thing, is I just I did not bring enough sackcloth for everyone, so so verses 3 and 4, and he, he's referencing Yahweh. He's referencing God, the creator of all things seen and unseen. He has cut down in his fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn his right hand from them in the face of the enemy. He has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming everything around. He has bent his bow like an enemy with his right hand set like a foe. He has killed all in whom we took pride in the tent of the daughter Zion. He has poured out his fury like fire. So he keeps coming back to this reference of fire. And I'm going to spend most of my time this morning not so much talking about the wrath of God because that is just one way of experiencing God's fire, but really talking about the fire of God. And the one fundamental thing that I want to communicate this morning is that there is no escaping the fire of God. And you can take that as good news or you can take that as bad news. And really that all depends upon your posture towards God. That really all depends on the state of your relationship with God. Whether or not your life is lined up with God. If your life is lined up with God, then hearing there is no escaping the fire of God actually comes as good news. But if your life is aligned with the ways of the world and you, are, you have set yourself in opposition to God, then that word, there is no escaping the fire of God, should come as a warning. And I don't even know what this means, but last night, as I was kind of still wrestling with this, and I was sitting uh, in my living room, sitting there in quiet, the word came to me that there is no difference between the fire of God and the love of God. And I was like half asleep. Y'all know those few moments like when you should have gone to bed five minutes ago, but you didn't. That's where I was. And I was so I like I stumbled into the kitchen and I picked up a pen and I wrote on the back of my hand and still have it here a little bit. You can still kind of see it. 
the fire of God and the love of God are the same. And then I woke up this morning and I had no recollection of that and I looked on my hand and I was like, what does that mean and who wrote that there? And I don't really know what that means, but I know that the fire of God really is an expression of God's love. What God really desires to do, and when I close today with reading a passage from Ezekiel, we'll see that what God is trying to do is he is trying to purify. He is trying to actually burn away everything that's bad for us. And that's out of his love for us. But if we attach ourselves to those things that are toxic for us, then we end up being destroyed in the process. But that's not what God is trying to do. He is pouring out his love. He's pouring out his fire. Fire can be a good thing. Fire can heal. Fire can purify. Fire can provide warmth. I read recently that, how many of y'all love to sit by a campfire? And this is a perfect weather just to go outside. I'm going to give all y'all permission tonight. Go outside and sit by your little campfire. I read that sitting by a campfire can actually lower your blood pressure. So the next time that your spouse or whoever is like, get in here and do something, be like, I'm taking care of my health right now. <laughs> that, this, that, that actually being around a fire like that can actually lower your blood pressure. We know that fire can purify. We know that fire is, is used to heal. We know that fire is used to cook. And obviously, on, the, uh, on a grander scale, none of us would be alive were it not for the fire of the sun. So we can't say, we could not say fire is a bad thing, right? Fire is actually a really, really good thing. If you think about the purification, the healing, and all the other good things that come from fire, but, 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 fire can also be very destructive. Fire can destroy. Fire can devastate. And if we don't believe that, ask somebody who lives in California. Fire can be a very destructive force. So, so fire can be this very good healing force, and then fire can also be this destructive, devastating force. And whether we experience fire as a good thing or a bad thing is entirely dependent upon context. So let me, let me tell you a little story to illustrate this. A few years ago, I was working with a ministry. We worked uh, with kids at the local Boys and Girls Club in Asheboro. So we had a bunch of high schoolers that we worked with, and we had them over. It was, a, it was a Sunday night in October, actually. And we had them over for a bonfire. So we have one of those little cheap fire pits that you get from Lowe's set in the backyard. It's a bunch of pine trees back there and then a clearing in the middle where the fire pit is. So we're back there. We got a fire going. We're roasting marshmallows. We're making s'mores. We're having so much fun. And the fire is giving us warmth because it was a cool night. It's helping us cook food. I don't know if marshmallows, I don't know if that qualifies as food, but we were eating it. So it's giving us that. And, and it was like in some intangible, inexplicable way, like fire was giving us joy. Like that's a joyful experience to be around a fire with people that you love. And we were having such a good time. Then we put the fire out when we were done. We go inside. We're in our kitchen. And we look out through the kitchen window. And the woods, y'all, are on fire. Because, again, there's pine needles everywhere 
on the forest floor back there, and a spark, all it took is one little spark got out. One pine needle caught on fire, and woof. Okay? And then everybody started freaking out. And I'm just going to tell y'all, we're going to tell how, like, different people responded to this. My wife responded in the most logical way. She actually ran out and grabbed a water hose. Uh, There was a kid named Bubba who's, like, 300 pounds, size 13 or 14 shoe. He's out there stomping on the fire, which also was helpful. My response was to grab a mason jar and fill the mason jar up with water, and I'm running through the backyard of the mason jar. So here's the thing about me, y'all. Here's the thing about me. If you've got stuff going on in your life, like you've got some kind of, you're in some kind of an existential crisis, I am your person. I will sit with you. I will listen to you. I will talk with you. I love that stuff. But if there is some kind of an actual physical emergency that involves broken bones or fire or blood, I am not going to help you at all in that situation. In fact, just a little side note. To illustrate this, I was on a trip once with my dad and my oldest brother and his daughter, my niece, I think she was about 10 at the time. And I was experimenting with life without a phone. And so we were sitting at a restaurant and, uh, and, and my niece Peyton was asking me about what it was like to not have a phone. And she says, what if Aunt Laura, talking about my wife, what if Aunt Laura has some sort of an emergency and she needs to reach you? And I said, look. I said, if there's an emergency and I'm the only person she can reach, it's already too late. There's nothing I can do. So I'm running out there with a mason jar full of water that doesn't help at all. But between my wife with the hose and Bubba with his size 13 Jordans, we put the fire out. But what that shows me is like, it was only a matter of like 15 minutes between us receiving light, receiving warmth, and receiving joy from this fire. To 15 minutes later, we're all in sheer panic. And it was the same fire. Does everybody get what I'm saying? The only thing that changed was the context. It went from being a fire in its right place, in the fire pit, to all of a sudden being loosed. And so this thing that was a source of light, warmth, and joy became a source of fear, legitimate fear. So going back to the context here of Lamentations 2, when the people of Judah submitted to God and walked in his ways, they experienced his fire as purification and healing. So this, what they're going through here in Lamentations is not the first time that they've experienced his fire. They have experienced his fire all along. In fact, did he not lead them through the desert with fire. They experienced it as purification and healing, but as they gave themselves over to idol worship and apathy, as they, as they worshiped idols, as they aligned themselves with these idols, and as Jeremiah calls out in Ezekiel as well, as they also oppressed the poor and did not share with the orphan, did not help the widow, as they aligned themselves with materialism, as they aligned themselves with the ways of the world, this fire of purification, this fire of healing became a fire of destruction and devastation. What changed? It wasn't God that changed. It wasn't the fire of God that changed. They changed. Their relationship with God changed. Their positioning before God changed. 
instead of being aligned with God and committed to his ways, instead of submitting to his presence, welcoming his presence, and walking according to his ways, they went from suppressing his presence, denying his presence, resisting his presence, and doing their own thing for their own material gain. And when they did that, the fire did not change, but their relationship with the fire changed. Their experience of the fire changed. There's actually good news in that, y'all, that God's not going to let us just do that. He is not going to just let you live by the ways of the world. He's not going to just let you forget about him as your source of life and just do your own thing. He is not going to just let you go and ruin your life and divorce yourself from him. He's going to continue to give his fire, but you're going to feel his fire in a very different way until you turn back. And we can always turn back. And as soon as we turn back, then this fire that was hurting us, that was killing us, starts to heal us. So what does all of this have to do with us? I want to read a quote from one of my favorites. This is a guy named um, Dr. Gabor Mate, who has written a lot on, he's an expert on addiction, uh, anxiety, depression, ADHD, and really insightful in terms of in terms of looking at our culture. Uh, Gabor Mate has actually worked in East Vancouver for the past 20 or 30 years, which is the place, is the, the worst of the heroin epidemic on earth is in East Vancouver. And he's designated his life to working with these individuals and trying to figure out the root of what causes this angst that we have. And this is from a, a book called Scattered Minds, which if you have any interest or any experience with addiction, ADHD, OCD, anything like that, depression, um, I encourage you to read anything by him, but especially Scattered Minds. So here's what he says. The effects of rapid social and economic shifts on the home environment are too well known to need detailing. The erosion of community, the breakdown of the extended family, the pressures on marriage relationships, the frenetic lives of those families which are still intact, and the growing sense of insecurity even in the midst of relative wealth have all combined to create an emotional atmosphere in which calm, centered living is becoming alarmingly difficult. The result of this in successive generations is seen in alienation, drug use, and violence. I feel like I'm going to read that over again. Is that okay? Since I didn't get it up here in the slide. The effects of rapid social and economic shifts, and he's talking about Western culture here, on the home environment are too well known to need detailing. The erosion of community, the breakdown of the extended family, the pressures on marriage relationships, the frenetic lives of those families still intact, and the growing sense of insecurity even in the midst of relative wealth have all combined to create an emotional atmosphere in which calm-centered living is becoming alarmingly difficult. 
the result in successive generations is seen in alienation, drug use, and violence. In other words, materialism. And Dr. Mate actually defines materialism as when, when we value the possession and the control of material goods over the human values of love and connection. That's materialism. We value possession and control of material goods over the invisible spiritual human values of love and connection. When that happens, you have a materialistic society. Y'all, we live in a materialistic society. Materialism equals disintegration. We get separated from each other. We get separated from God. We get separated from community. We get separated from the earth. We get isolated. We feel alienated. And we just were not meant to live like that. So what do we do? We reach out for something that will take the pain away at least for a little while. We lash out in violence. We use. We do whatever. And actually, even though it's destructive, it kind of makes sense. And we can see these things as evidence of God's fire. A destructive fire. Nonetheless, encouraging us to turn back to him. The way of Jesus is this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things... The material needs that we have are not bad. God God gave us a body. Our body is good. Our body has needs. But he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things shall be added unto you. In other words, attend first to the spiritual. Attend first to the spiritual. Not Not to the denial of the physical, but first and foremost, your focus should be on the spiritual. Organize your life around scripturally given spiritual principles and practices. I've had to do that. I shared with the leadership team last week. I think that there are people, there are two types of people in this world. There are those who need a prayer life to live well. And then there are those who need a prayer life to live, period. And I'm one of those people, I need a prayer life to live, period. For my own survival, for my own sanity, I have had to completely organize my life around a set of spiritual practices. Not that there's anything sacred about the practices. I think this is especially crucial coming out of this discussion on the rhythm of life. But just that these are places where God has promised to meet us. There's nothing sacred necessarily of sitting there quietly. You know, or fasting or reading scripture. It's just that those are the places where God has promised to meet us and he has been faithful to meet us there over and over and over again. And so to follow the way of Jesus, we have to organize our life not around material pursuits, but around spiritual principles and spiritual practices. Are y'all with me? Everybody okay? Okay. If we do that, if we do that, I can say, and I have no control over God whatsoever. I have tried. I have told him what I want, and he has not listened. I have no control over him whatsoever. But I promise you, just based on experience, if you do that, then God, the creator of all things seen and unseen, will meet your material needs. 
I promise you he will. That's the way of Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then God will add all these things unto you. The way of the world is very simple, y'all. It's the exact reverse of that. It is the exact reverse of that. It is the way of Jesus in reverse. The way of the world and all of us, and I'll speak for myself, I have often aligned myself with the way of the world. We seek first our material needs and wants. And then we hope that our spiritual needs will be met in the process. We seek first the material stuff, the needs and the wants. And then over here off to the side, we still have these spiritual needs, but we hope that they'll just kind of get met in the process and they don't. Drug addiction. Uh, if you think about someone shooting heroin is a pseudo-religious ritual. An attempt to kind of fill that God-given void. That's not to blame anybody or shame anybody. It's just saying, hey, this is, this is actually uh, an attempt to meet a very legitimate need. It's not the way to go about it. But in a materialistic society, that's what happens. Our society has it wrong. And for the most part, the church has gone along for the ride. We haven't really... I mean, there are some exceptions to this, of course. And I see some, some beautiful exceptions in, in this community here. But for the most part, like, we've just gone along for the ride. We're just as materialistic as the world is. You know, we just got the same values that the world has, really. And if we do not turn, we risk being incinerated by the fire of God. There it is. That's the darkest thing I got to say. If we do not turn, and this is for us collectively, not just as individuals, but look at where we're going as a society, y'all. My goodness. If we do not turn, we risk being incinerated by the fire of God. So what must we do? We must return to the way of Jesus. Uh, as I was sharing with, with the, the group of leaders last week, and the way of Jesus is so, so simple. So simple, but it's not easy. It is not easy. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it, but it is simple. It's, there's nothing complicated about it. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, and I, I like Jeremiah and Ezekiel going along with Lamentations because Jeremiah and Ezekiel were ministering at the same time. So they, this, this Babylonian invasion, the destruction of the temple, the leading of them into exile, of the Jews into exile, all of this was going on in the ministries of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. So God is speaking through them too. And sometimes their words can be painful, but there's a little more hope in there. And so to this same group of people, that are going through the destruction of their city, that are going through the trials of exile, that are devastated and disoriented. Jeremiah says this, Thus says the Lord. And this, by the way, I feel like is a, um, a beautiful anticipation of Jeremiah 6, 16. Oh, excuse me. I got thrown off by the... I got thrown off by the rain. A beautiful... That's okay. It's okay. It's a beautiful anticipation of the way of Jesus. 
Jeremiah 6.16 says, Thus says the Lord, stand at the crossroads and look, and ask for the ancient paths where the good way lies, and walk in it and find rest for your souls. Stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way lies and walk in it and find rest for your soul. So all these, the, the past several weeks leading up to last week where we're talking about the rhythm of life, those are the ancient paths. You know, I, I, I really wish that there was a different way. You know, I wish there was a way to God and a way to a fulfilling life sometimes that didn't involve prayer and fasting. But there's not. There's no replacement for these things. And they're so meaningful and they're so life-giving. It's worth, worth the time and it's worth the effort. We have to come back to those things that we know. We have to come back to those places where God has promised to meet us, where God right now is waiting for us. I want to close this morning by reading from the prophet Ezekiel. And again, going back to what I was saying, Ezekiel is, is uh, he's ministering during the same time. So he's trying to speak words to the same group of people and trying to get them to turn back as God is sending the, the Babylonians to come against them as a tool of his correction. And if we want to look at it that way, a tool of his, his wrath and judgment. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 25 through 32, this really to me displays the, the heart of God as it relates to his fire and how we experience his fire. You say unto me, the way of the Lord is unfair. Here now, O house of Israel, is my way unfair? Is it not your ways that are unfair? When the righteous turn away from their righteousness and commit iniquity, they shall die for it. For the iniquity that they themselves have committed, they shall die. Again, when the wicked turn away from their wickedness they have committed and do what is lawful and right, they shall save their own life. Because they have considered and they have turned from all of their transgressions. And for this, they shall surely live, they shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is unfair. O house of Israel, are my ways unfair? Is it not your ways that are unfair? Therefore, I will judge you, house of Israel, all of you according to your own ways, says the Lord God. Now listen to this. Repent and turn from all of your transgressions. Otherwise, iniquity will be your downfall. Cast away from you all of the transgressions that you have committed against me and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why should you die, O house of Israel? For I, the Lord, have no pleasure in the death of anyone. Turn then and live. I want to pray over you this morning, and then Pastor Anderson's going to come up and lead us in a time of communion. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you for how unrelenting you are in your pursuit of us. I pray, God, this morning that you'll help us to understand that your fire is for our benefit. Your fire is your love. 
And if we would only submit to you, if we would only surrender to you, if we would only let go, then we could experience the healing that comes through your fire. We could experience the purification, the warmth, the joy, the life that comes through your fire for truly in the end, your fire is life-giving. Help us, God, to have the hearts today to turn to you to receive your fire. We call upon you to forgive. We call upon you to heal. We call upon you to restore. And we call upon you to renew by way of your Holy Spirit for the manifestation of your kingdom upon the earth. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.